Hello, everybody. My name is Jacob, if we haven't met, and I have the privilege of unpacking God's word for us this morning. So before we hear God speak to us from his word, I'd love to pray for us all together now. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, please help us to understand how much you love us. And please stir our hearts so that we are captivated and transformed by our humble Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Well, have you ever had food poisoning before? I'm hearing some laughing because I know Mum and Greg up the back just got it on their flight back from Africa. (laughs) It's not good, is it? Uh, Recently, I was knocked down by a bad case of food poisoning. I was betrayed by a chicken snitty from the pub. And when you have food poisoning, how do you know? How do you find out? You get really sick. And that's exactly what happened to me. I'm talking intense stomach pains, vomiting, headaches. It was nasty. And the symptoms of food poisoning are the big alarm bells that help you understand, yo, you've got food poisoning. Hello, settle yourself down, get some medication, relax. And I talk about this because today I want to suggest that we have all been poisoned. And it's much worse than a dodgy bit of chicken. We have been poisoned by pride. And here are some of the symptoms of pride, the big alarm bells that will help us see that we are poisoned by pride. Listen out and see if these ring true for you, because they certainly ring true for me. Are you selfish? Do you struggle to be grateful? Do you grumble when things don't go your way? Do you try to hide mistakes? Do you hand out rubbish, shallow apologies? Are you quick to talk instead of listen? Do you love to take credit for any type of success? Do you like to impress other people? These are just some of the symptoms that show you've been poisoned by pride. So what exactly is pride then? Pride is thinking you're more important than someone else. Thinking you're more important than other people poisons your relationships so they aren't able to flourish and grow in love. I know pride slows down and it chokes my love for other people. And as I've been preparing this sermon, I'm just realising more and more how horrible my pride truly is. Do you, like me, suffer from the poison of thinking you're more important than other people? Well, if you're interested in being freed from this sickly poison, then I've got good news for you. Because today, we're all going to see and experience God's powerful antidote to this poison. God's antidote to poisonous pride is humility. And guys, I have to say, as I've meditated on this passage, 
and prayerfully applied it to my life, I have seen a real change. God has been changing me, and he can change you too. So if you want this antidote, then come with me now and drink drink deeply from the scriptures together. Today we're digging into Philippians uh, chapter 2, just from verses 3 to 11. And this passage has so many wonderful things to say that we can't even begin to cover them all in a single sermon. So instead, I want to draw out one of the big ideas from this passage, and that is humility. And I'm actually really excited for you guys to hear this because humility is just so refreshing. It's just so life-giving. So this is the plan for our journey together through the scriptures. First up, we're going to look at verses 3 to 4 and ask, what is humility? Then, after we've started to get a picture of what humility is, we're going to take a look at the humble example of Jesus. And finally, after we've seen Jesus' own humility in action, we're going to ask ourselves, how do we be humble? How do we, how can we, Be humble like Jesus himself. So this is where we're going together. Are you ready? Let's do it. Real quick, I want to get us all up to speed on what is happening in Philippians. Why does this letter exist? What's going on? In the first century, a dude named Paul was running around the place planting churches. And he planted a church in Philippi during his travels. And around 10 years after that, he wrote this letter to them. Like us... The Philippian people lived in a world that didn't know Jesus. And they were a community of believers looking to grow in their faith and share it with others. But pride and selfishness were poisoning their relationships. And because Paul loves them and he wants them to grow and work together, he gives them the solution to this poisonous problem. Which brings us to our first question, What is humility? We see Paul paint a picture of humility for us in verses 3 and 4. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Paul encourages them to be humble, along with a bunch of other do's and don'ts in these verses. And this bunch works together to paint a picture of humility for us. The first thing we see are the two don'ts at the top there. What are they? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Selfishness is the horrible condition in which your heart, well, it turns inwards on itself, to focus on itself. Selfishness is a horrible condition. It's like a black hole that just sucks everything and everyone into itself. And the other one, don't try to impress others. Well, that just comes from pride. A proud person is sort of like a helium balloon. They're always just naturally trying to move up to impress everyone until they're above everyone else. Because in their inflated minds, they genuinely just think they're more important and better than other people. And Paul says not to do these things. Don't do these things. Why? 
because they're the opposite of humility. The opposite of humility focuses in and up. And straight after this, Paul moves from the opposite of humility to humility itself. Look again with me, verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Now, the word humble just simply means lowly, a low value of who you are. Not a proud, high, important view, but a low, humble view. And when people say, oh, man, I've been humbled, this is what they mean. They've been knocked down a few pegs. And this is exactly what happened to me when I got absolutely humbled a couple of years ago at the Sydney Half Marathon. About like 500 metres into the race here, my knee just gives out. Whoop, see you later. So it's gone, and all I can do now is walk. I couldn't run. And so what did I do? I started walking. What did everyone else do? They started passing me. Literally thousands of people were just like, get out of the way, move, slow poke, running past me. Even the grannies zooming straight past. And I'm here just lowering myself down to the back of the pack, absolutely nothing. So that was seriously a humbling experience. Humility doesn't go up, humility goes down. But this downwards direction of humility doesn't paint the whole picture for us. That's not the picture that Paul wants us to have. I like how the NIV puts this verse here. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. A humble person values others more than themselves. Here we see humility isn't just about lowering yourself down. Humility has a strong outwards focus. Humility flows down and out. Humility is like a crystal clear mountain river that flows out and down. It naturally moves down to the lowly places and it's always flowing away and outwards from its source. But most of all, like the river, humility is refreshing and it brings life. See, if you miss the outwards focus of humility, you could end up seeing it as just lowliness. And sometimes people think humility sucks. Humility is just self-hatred. Humility means you give up caring for yourself at all. Humility just means you become this lowly, weak pushover. I don't want to be humble. But this is where C.S. Lewis's definition of humility is really helpful. It's absolute gold. He says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humble people don't think they're the lowly scum of the earth. Humble people forget about themselves and just become consumed with interest, love, and enthusiasm for others and what's happening for them. So to summarize what we've seen in verses 3 and 4 and to answer our question, what is humility, I'd say humility is loving others more than yourself. This that right there is the antidote to pride, and Paul wants people to know it and live it out. So what does Paul do? Well, he just goes one step further. 
rather than just telling them to be humble, he shows them real humility in action. In 4K, crystal clear, high definition, he shows them the greatest act of humility the world has ever seen. The humble example of Jesus. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, warning, these verses that we're about to read together are just simply too wonderful. They just are. There are six verses here, and they are all so rich and packed with goodness that you could easily do a sermon on every single verse. But that's not what we're going to do right now. We're not going to stop and soak in the delicious details of each verse here. Instead, this is how I'd like us to walk through the humble example of Jesus. This section here um, shows Jesus' entire life as a big V-shaped dip. In verses 6 to 8, you have Jesus as he descends down and falls into death. And then in verses 9 to 11, he rises up again. That's the big dip. And I want us to follow Jesus down as he descends. We're then going to pause together briefly at the bottom and then race up the rise together. And after that, we're going to look back over the whole big dip and try and find the key to Jesus' humble attitude that Paul wants them and us to have. So let's start up at the top of the big dip in verse 6. Where does Jesus start from? He starts from the top of all tops. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Jesus is equal with God. This is the highest that you can get. It doesn't go up from here. The divinity of Jesus, the height of Jesus, sets up the entire big dip for us. And in the next verse we see, the descent begins. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. The creator of life itself now becomes one of his own creatures. Jesus becomes a lowly human. As a human myself, I find it hard to really wrap my head around what's going on here. This is mind-boggling stuff we're dealing with. So I've got an imperfect um, illustration that might help us start to get our hands around what's going on here. Imagine we have a wise, friendly, old animal farmer. Let's call him Pete the Farmer. This guy, Pete, he's a local legend. Everyone in town loves and respects Pete. Pete is generous and Pete is kind to his animals. One day, for some strange reason, Pete decides to leave his precious animal farm and leave the community that loves and respects him. He moves away to go and work on a different farm in a different town. Now imagine a couple of weeks go by and you decide, hey, I'm going to go visit Pete on his new farm and see how he's doing. But when you arrive, this is what you find. Pete is tied up in the mud with the pigs. He is made to eat their food, to sleep with them, and drink from their water trough. Could you imagine 
the horror that you would feel at seeing Pete eating sludge and scraps with the pigs. Not Pete! Do you know who this guy is? It would just be horrific to witness that. But in this new town, nobody cares. Nobody knows who Pete is. All the respect and status that Pete used to have, it's just gone. Now ratchet that up about a million times and you will start to understand what it was like for God to become a man. You have Jesus who's equal with God, right? The glorious, the unmissable, voice-booming, star-flinging, spectacular king and creator of the entire universe. It's God who now becomes a nobody on earth. Feeling hunger, being itchy, suffering pain. When Jesus grew up, even his own brothers had no clue who this guy was. Equal with God, nobody. Jesus went from God to nobody. Now that is seriously humble. To lower yourself down that much. But even after lowering himself down to become a human, Jesus still had not hit rock bottom. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Equal with God, becomes a human, and now dies. He dies on a cross. Cruel, embarrassing, disgusting. And let's just sit on this mind-boggling thought for a moment. The creator of life itself died. The creator of life itself lay dead in a tomb. And here at rock bottom, I just want us to pause and ask one question. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he give up everything to become nothing? To suffer pain, humiliation, betrayal? This wasn't easy. This was not comfortable. Why did he do it? He did it because Jesus loves you more than himself. And you might ask, how does Jesus' death have anything to do with me? It has everything to do with you because he died for you. See, our pride and our selfishness, it doesn't just poison our relationships with other people. It poisons our relationship with God. God is angry with people who are proud and selfish. And God's anger is good, although it's not good news for us, for proud and selfish people like us. Because God's good punishment for pride and selfishness, it's death. But get this. Instead of rightfully punishing us, God the Father does this. He teams up with Jesus and he sends his son down so that he will die in our place. Even though he did nothing wrong, he takes the punishment for us. 
And what that means is that if you apologize to God, if you say sorry for your horrible pride and selfishness, and believe in your heart that Jesus died and took the punishment that you deserved, then your relationship with God will be restored. God will no longer be angry with you because Jesus took your punishment. Jesus died so your relationship with God can be restored. And why did he do this? It's because he loves you more than himself. And he wants you to know God. Now I want us to move on from our pause at the bottom here and race up the rise together. In verse 9. Therefore God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus is risen. He is Lord, King of the universe. The Father has now placed him back up into the highest position of privilege and honor and status. This is the big dip of Jesus. Equal with God to man, to dead in a tomb, to Lord of the universe. What a wild ride. And Paul takes the Philippians through this big dip because he wants these people to have the same attitude, the same mindset that Jesus does. So when we look over this big dip, where do we see the key to Jesus' humble attitude? Well, I think we see the key to his attitude back up at the top in verse 6. Let's take a look at it again. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. What does it mean to cling to something? Well, to cling to something is to want and to grab onto it for your own good, your own advantage. When you cling to something that isn't yours, well, we call that stealing. But when you cling to something that is yours, we call that exercising your rights. Even though Jesus had the, the greatest position and privilege in the world, he doesn't cling to it. The humble attitude of Jesus, the key to his humility, shows us a humble person gives up their rights to love others. Jesus gives up his divine rights, his comforts, his benefits. This is what it looks like to flow down and out on the river of humility. And this is how you love others more than yourself. You have to give up what's rightfully yours sometimes, your comforts, your benefits, your advantages. And letting go of these things will cost you. Let me just give you a small everyday example of this kind of humility in action. Let's say you're catching the train and you find a seat to get some work done. You need to get some work done and you look and there's one seat left. Yes! So you go sit down, you crack out your laptop and you just start getting to work. You pull up at the next station and you see a pregnant lady gets on the train. What would a humble person do? They would stop typing, shut their laptop, 
get up and give that pregnant woman their own seat. And yes, it's going to mean they don't get any work done now. But that's okay. They're not bitter or sour about that. Because like Jesus, they love to love others. Jesus doesn't just give up a seat for us. He becomes nothing and lets go of his own life for us. And again, why did he do it? Because he loves you more than himself. He doesn't think, "Mm, this isn't actually exactly that fair for me. He's too busy thinking, what's best for you? It's his very nature. It's who he is. It's how he thinks. Jesus is humble at heart. And when you find out this is what Jesus is like, it's really hard not to be changed by him. When the one who has the most to lose gives it up, how can we, with so little, cling onto what we have? And the example of Jesus isn't a big stick to beat us all with. It's an engine that supercharges us and it empowers us to be humble. It's an example that woos and wins and compels us to a way of life that is beautiful. Friends, I'm so proud to say that this is my saviour. This is the man that I follow. I think Jesus' humility and his love for other people is beautiful. What about you? Because I know I want to be more like this guy. I want to be more like Jesus. I really do. Our Lord is humble at heart, so we must be humble. Which brings us to our final question. How do we be humble? After seeing what humility is and seeing the humble heart of Jesus, it would be good and right for us to stop and think, how do we be humble? And this passage has already said a lot about this for us. Don't be selfish, don't be proud, have the same attitude, mindset of Jesus, be willing to let go of your rights to love others. But in addition to all of that good stuff, as I've been meditating on this, I'd like to share um, two more things that have helped me grow in humility. How do we be humble? First up, delight in God's love for you. This passage has stirred my heart so that I've been delighting in God's love for me. To know that the Lord of the entire universe loves you more than himself is something to delight in. It's something to be stoked about. And what I'm noticing is that being humble comes from a deep awareness of God's own love for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you this. Do you have a deep awareness that you are God's treasure and delight? Do you know that? Because if you do, it'll satisfy your soul. He doesn't love you because of your skills and abilities, because of your work or ministry achievements. He just loves you. It's a free gift, so delight in it. And as you are filled up with God's love, and you understand how much he loves you, it flows out from you down to others in the river of humility. 
His love helps you stop clinging onto the little that you have so you can give it up to love others. Delighting in God's love will help you enjoy the river of humility. And there's another way we can be humble. Remember that you are not God. As I've sat in this passage, I've been reminded, hey, you're not God. Proud people, man, they think they're top stuff. They want to be God-like, the best, the cleverest, the smartest. For a long time, I thought I was top stuff, man. No joke. This took me so long to figure out. God had to humble me again and again and again, and he's still doing it. I still need the reminders. I'm actually not top stuff, but that's okay. I am ordinary and below average at a lot of things, and I don't need to panic about it. Thankfully, God reminds me about this all the time, and sometimes he humbles me in little ways, like when I make a mistake, and other times it's in big ways, like when I get passed by thousands of people at the city marathon, and I realize, hey, you're not a superhuman. You're not. You're just a lowly, fragile, sinful person. I'm just a tiny human in this big and complex world that is made by a big and awesome God. I'm just a guy from the South Coast. I am ordinary, and so are other people. And this is what helps me forgive other people in humility and bring healing to my relationships. Realizing your place in this big and complex world will give you the humility to forgive others and restore your relationships with ordinary people who make mistakes just like you. And when I find something or someone frustrating, I often just need to humble myself, really. How can I hold their failures against them when Jesus didn't hold my failures against me? In my most foolish moments, I am still tenderly loved by Christ. How can I not do the same to others? Our Lord is humble at heart, so we must be humble. It's the antidote to our poisonous pride, so let us delight in God's love for us and love others more than ourselves. We need God's help to do this, so why don't I pray for us now? Heavenly Father, we need your help. We are so sorry, Lord, for our horrible pride and selfishness. Please transform us and change our hearts so that they grow big and strong and full of love for others like Jesus. Please give us selfless, humble hearts that love other people even when it costs us. And we thank you for our beautiful, humble Saviour. Empower us by your Spirit so that we can follow him together for all our days. In the name of Jesus, amen.